Uh, I will say it is great to have everyone with us. It's always great to have folks with us, but we do have uh, some family members that came. Uh, Lois Wiggins, who passed away this past June, uh, they had, their family had already scheduled a time for the family to come and to be here, uh, and we have a large number of them here this morning, and just wanted to say welcome, and it is a blessing to have you with us today. Well, this past Monday, I had a conversation with a gentleman who was on his way to work. He is 42 years of age, and he shared that he hates his job, but he goes in every night in order to take care of his family's needs. I first commended him for his faithfulness to take care of his family, and then I asked the question, if you could do anything with your life, what would it be? Obviously, it wouldn't be the job that he's doing, but if you could do anything with your life, what would it be? He shared that he had always wanted to start his own business, and then he described exactly what it would look like. You could tell that he had put much thought into this, and it actually was a pretty realistic plan. So I asked a follow-up question. What would it take to make that dream come true? He then started talking about his age, the lack of financial resources to help him get things started, and the risks that would come with this venture. I want you to notice what actually happened there. I asked what it would take to make the dream come true, and fear told me all the reasons it could not come true. Unfortunately, this is a common perspective among God's people today. The things that we once dreamed of as young people seem so far away perhaps even completely out of reach. We've become scarred by failure or difficult circumstances, and the dream has become nothing more than childhood fantasy. But what if God could still do amazing things in and through you? I believe today that God does indeed long to do great things through each one of us. But it needs to begin with a call for us to once again dream big. If you remember, over the past couple of weeks, I've been in a series entitled, What If? And today's message in that series is entitled, Dream Big. You heard Jared read a passage to you earlier this morning about a woman who was barren. She had no children and had no spouse. Yet she is given the promise that God is still going to do something great through not only her, but even through her offspring. I guess it's hard to see the greatness when you're surrounded by all of the junk sometimes. Proverbs 29, 18 declares that without a vision, the people will perish. And I imagine that such a woman likely felt as if there was no hope. She had no vision of what could be. Yet the vision of life and a future would serve to give her life as well. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph as recorded in Genesis chapter 37. As a young man, he was hated by his brothers, yet he was loved by his father. And one night, while gathered around the family dinner table, Joseph shares a dream that God has given him. In it 
all of his brothers and even his father find themselves bowing down around Joseph. Well, I'm sure that you can imagine that such a dream would not be received well by those in attendance. His brothers already didn't like him, and now it merely causes them to dislike him even more. In the years that would follow, Joseph would endure much difficulty and hardship. He would be betrayed by his brothers. He would be sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. He would eventually be arrested on false accusations, and then he would be forgotten by those whom he had helped. And I wonder, did Joseph ever forget about the dream that God had given him? Did Joseph ever look at his current struggle and wonder if this dream was nothing more than a pipe dream, a childhood fantasy? While I can't tell you what went through Joseph's mind, I can confirm that Joseph's dream would actually be fulfilled. And although getting to the finish line may have been a difficult path, God would show himself to be faithful even in the midst of a very rough road. So let me begin here today. I'm not even to the message. I wonder today if there isn't someone in here whom God has given you a dream, but somewhere along the way you have forgotten about the dream. Or perhaps you remember the dream, but it seems so far-fetched at this point in your life. In your mind, it could never happen. Like the barren woman and like Joseph, know that there is hope. What if we began to dream big once more? For the barren woman in Isaiah, what needed to happen was she needed to enlarge her capacities. She needed to see that what seemed impossible for her was indeed possible for God, for nothing is actually impossible for God. And there are countless examples of this within the scriptures. For example, consider the words of Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. It says, remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. One of the key images in this particular passage, Isaiah 43, is that we need to not get caught up in looking back. Nothing wrong with our heritage, and we should be grateful for that heritage but we need to not look back so much as we need to begin to look forward. He says to remember not the former things. In other words, don't let the past dictate what can be done in the future. So who cares that nobody else has ever done it before? Who cares that the dream seems too big today? God says, I will make a way in the wilderness. I remember as a youth pastor, one of the things I loved about being a youth pastor was I had kids, they were constantly rotating in and out. And what happened in most cases was they had never been in a youth ministry. These were kids that I was reaching and they were brand new to this faith. And you know, the one thing I never heard was, you know, this is the way we've always done it. That doesn't happen as a senior pastor. 
<laughs> Sometimes that's the phrase that determines what we do moving forward because this is the way we've always done it before. But according to this passage, and again, there's nothing wrong with our heritage, nothing wrong with how we got where we are. In fact, we should celebrate that. But we need to recognize that just because we didn't do it that way before doesn't mean we shouldn't do it that way now. The fact is, according to this passage, God is doing a new thing. And as he does so, we need to be willing to follow wherever he would lead. I've heard for years that God does not call the equipped, but rather he equips the called. And the idea is that if God calls you to do it, regardless of how foreign it may be to you, then he will make a way for it to happen. I remember many years ago reading a book by Bruce Wilkinson entitled The Prayer of Jabez. Probably many of you read it. Uh, actually, it's one of the easiest books you'll ever read. I think it's about that thick. It's, it's tiny. It's based on two verses found in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what those verses say. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Now, let me just say, first of all, the first thing we see here is this man, Jabez, was more honorable than his brothers. That means that he stood out from everybody else that was there, and apparently in a good way, yet there is a problem with that. Names may not be as important to us today, but they certainly were important to the people in the Old Testament. And Jabez's name has a meaning. It is the Hebrew word for pain. Listen to what it said again. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. So in other words, I want you to imagine for a moment going through life with that kind of name, that kind of stigma. Hey, pain, it's good to see you. You're nothing but a pain. That's basically what he heard every time his name was mentioned. Put it in today's terms. Maybe it's not a pain, or maybe other derogatory terms that people have called us by. You're such a loser. There are all kinds of ugly things that we could say about people. By the way, I wasn't pointing at any particular person. Sherry, I know it looked like I was pointing at you, but I really wasn't. So many times we've been called different things, and those names tend to identify the type of people we are. How many of us have been called hard-headed? Sometimes it's accurate. <laughs> How many of us have been called stubborn? How many of us have been called losers? There are all kinds of names that sometimes it begins to identify who we are. Well, Jabez, a.k.a. Mr. Payne, is determined that he would be more than what his name suggested. So he prays to the Lord, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my borders, that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. 
There are a couple things that I want you to see here. First, Jabez realizes that the first place to go in order to make this dream come true was to the Lord. He prayed that God would bless him and enlarge his borders, make him more than what others deemed possible. That's true for us too. God is always the first place to turn if we are to enlarge our capacities, what we can do. But the second thing I want you to see is that even in his prayer, he reveals his awareness of what could be. Others perceive him as being about pain. Others likely expect very little good from him. Yet he prays that God's blessing would not bring him pain. Believe today that you can be more than what others think of you. And I love the way this passage ends. God granted what he asked. So the first thing we need to do today is to enlarge our capacities. And in many ways, that is dreaming big, believing that God can do bigger things than what we imagine to begin with. The second thing that we need to do is to stretch our commitment. Verse 2 of our original passage in Isaiah 54 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. The idea is that now that you have the dream, you need to start preparing for it. Do more than just saying that you're committed to it. Show that you're committed to it. Last week, I referenced in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, which declares that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Well, if you want to reap generously, then you'll need to be generous as you invest in the dream that God has placed before you. And in John chapter 12, Jesus gives the image of letting something die so that something bigger and better can come out of it. He talks about a, a seed that is buried, and eventually it produces more fruit. And in a manner, this is still very much about sowing generously. It's about not clinging too tightly to what you have, but releasing it so that God can do more with it than you could ever imagine doing on your own. Now, in all this, there is a personal application as well as one that connects with how we generously support the ministry within the church. I mean, the, the idea of dreaming big goes far beyond what your career will look like 10 years from now. It applies also to the way we give and use the resources given to us by the Lord. It's the idea that as we give, we are investing in something that is bigger than ourselves. We are investing in something that can make a bigger difference than what we could do on our own. Now, I do recognize that there are places in the church where a credibility problem exists when it comes to money. The church is called to meet the needs of our world head on. That means us being the hands and the feet of Jesus. That means helping families in need. That means investing in the community for the sake of introducing people to the love of Jesus Christ. But not all churches are doing that. And honestly, every time something less than that happens, it gives a black eye to the church. I read this week of a church in another state 
that recently purchased a new building for their ministry. The building was priced at just over $35 million. Then you have those ministers who live in huge mansions and fly their own planes. And man, I just want a helicopter. (laughs) I'm joking. I can't even fly a helicopter. And you wonder why we should invest in such ministries. Actually, I wonder why. But when we invest in the ministry of a church, we should know that what we are investing in is truly bigger than us. I can't give you names, but I can assure you that this church is taking your generosity and we are supporting overseas missions, local missions, even local Christian education. Over the past year, we have been blessed to help people with groceries, with electric bills, and with medical bills. In addition to all of that, your financial support makes it possible for us to create an outreach pastor position this past spring. And now we're getting ready to launch an addiction recovery ministry. When you give to Trinity Wesleyan Church, you are letting your investment become something far bigger than what it could ever have been in your pocket. What you're doing is you're investing in ministry that is going to change the lives of other people. So we need to enlarge our capacity. Dream big again. We also need to stretch our commitment, putting action to the big dream. And then finally, according to verse 3 and 4 of Isaiah 54, we also need to expand our influence. You know, John 6 records one of the most beautiful stories that we find in the Bible of God's provision through generosity. Maybe we don't always look at that story in this way, but it's the story of the feeding of 5,000. On that particular day, Jesus had been preaching for hours and the crowd is hung on his every word. And as the day grows late, Jesus and his disciples realize that there's a food problem. With 5,000 men, not including women and children, there's no way that we'll be able to feed all of these people. Now, y'all know the story. According to verse 9 of John chapter 6, according to verse 9, we are told that Andrew finds a boy with five loaves of bread and a couple fish. But Andrew wonders aloud at how small that is when you're talking about feeding so many people. But that's when Jesus steps in. He multiplies the food that is offered and everyone eats. In fact, when the meal is over, we're told that they collect 12 baskets full of leftovers. That's a lot of leftovers. It's also pretty amazing. Now, there are a couple things that I want you to catch from this story, and maybe we've never looked at it from this perspective to begin with. But know that Jesus didn't even need the five loaves of bread and two fish. Clearly, in this story, he has demonstrated the ability to make something great out of very little. And if he can do that, then he can make something out of nothing. He didn't need the five loaves of bread and the two fish. You know, I kind of picture this kid who is watching the disciples stress over the food issue. And in his innocence, he says, well, I've got five loaves of bread back here and 
two fish. I'd be willing to share my meal with someone else. And I picture Andrew thinking, oh, you know, that's really sweet, almost in a, a patronizing voice. But this kid was onto something. You see, in his own hands, his bread and fish could feed maybe a few people, those immediately around him. But in the hands of Jesus, they could feed thousands. You know, this little boy didn't offer, you know, I got five loaves of bread and two fish. Tell you what, I'll give up three loaves of bread. I'll give up one fish. He gives up everything that he has. And God takes it and he turns it into something far greater. I wonder who took the, the 12 basketfuls home with them. Can you imagine this little boy? The disciples have collected all 12 basketfuls and they said, tell you what, son, you gave the five loaves of bread and the two fish. Tell you what, I, we're going to give you these 12 baskets full and you can take them home with you. Can you imagine his mom when he came home? The next day, she's probably sending them back with a whole lot more bread and a whole lot more fish. The point is, this kid gives everything. And as he gives everything, he is putting it in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus does something spectacular. While Jesus didn't need the five loaves and two fish, Jesus didn't offer to feed them until someone stepped up with an act of generosity. I wonder what God could do with what we have. I wonder how many lives could be touched if only we put what we had into the hands of Jesus. Myra Welch Brooks many years ago wrote a poem entitled The Old Violin. I want you to listen to it for a moment. It says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people? He cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings. He played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what now am I bid for this old violin as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, we just don't understand. What changed its worth, swift came the reply, was the touch of the master's hand. By placing all that we have in the hands of God, we see that he can accomplish much more than we could ever dream. Look at what he's done in you already. Every single person in this room is tainted by sin. There is a sense of brokenness that comes with us. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, we are broken people. Yet in the master's hand, 
he can make us pure and holy once more. If God could do that through you, what could he do through your possessions, through your abilities? What could God do if we simply placed ourselves and all of our things in his hands? Today, I call you to dream big. What could God do through you that you have not imagined possible before? And as you dream big, consider what God could do through your faithful generosity, investing in his kingdom. How many lives will be changed because you took what you had and you placed it in the master's hand? If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful for the touch of the master's hand. We're grateful that you are a loving and gracious God who is forgiving who desires us to be made right before you. And in spite of all of our imperfections, the touch of the master's hand has given us hope and life. And today, Lord, we are new creations. Thank you today for the grace you extended. Lord, I pray today that the touch of the master's hand would extend beyond ourselves, but I pray that our dreams would become a reality with you being the one who guides us. Father, I pray today that you would help us to be faithful stewards, that we would use the gifts you've given. Lord, I pray that you would take what seems so small from us and turn it into something huge. Father, I pray that you would bless this church and bless these people as we are touched by the master's hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as, as we've been talking this morning, some of you are thinking, good, we're getting out early. Not really. As we've been talking today about gathering for a meal with Jesus, initially it was a group that met around the family table. Remember Joseph and his brothers, that's where he shared his dream. And then we talk about people gathering, about 5,000 or more gathering to eat with Jesus. This also reminds me of another occasion when Jesus ate a meal with his disciples. On this occasion, it was what we call the Last Supper. He's about to be betrayed and arrested and killed. His body is about to be broken and his blood is about to be shed. And he calls upon these men to remember. He takes the bread and he gives it new meaning. He said, this, this represents my body that is broken for you. And he instructs them that every time you eat this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Then he takes the wine, and in just a few moments we will do this. We will use grape juice. But he takes the wine and he says, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And every time you drink this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. In essence, what he is saying is that I don't ever want you to forget this sacrifice. It is the sacrifice that gives you hope, that gives you forgiveness, and gives you the promise of eternal life. He was about to lay down his life so that our sins could be forgiven. In just a moment, we'll partake in these elements in a similar manner. But I want to challenge you as we do so today. For some, the act of communion will serve as a reminder that I am fully devoted to Jesus Christ, 
There was a moment in my life where I surrendered my life to him and I decided that I would no longer be the same person, but rather I would take this broken vessel and I would become holy and pure because the spirit of God would now dwell in me. That was made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ because his body was broken and his blood was shed. He became the sacrifice for my sins. In the Old Testament, anytime someone committed sin, a sacrifice was required. Well, guess what? The same thing is true in the New Testament. The only difference is the sacrifice is paid by Jesus Christ. I don't have to make that sacrifice anymore. He does that. And many of you have already made that decision. And today will serve as a reminder. As you participate in communion this morning, I want to challenge you to let this be a reminder of the grace God has given to you, the commitment that you've made. Maybe you're making some decisions that don't reflect that commitment. Maybe it's time for us to go back to where we started. Maybe it's time for us to be reminded of what it costs our God and our Savior for us to have that freedom, to have that forgiveness. So maybe for you, this is a decision you've already made, and I celebrate it. For some of us, I wonder if today also serves as an opportunity to start over in our walk with him. You see, the reality is many of us made a decision many, many years ago. But what's happened is over the years, we have almost forgotten that that decision was made. We live as if we're not really children of God, even though we would tell people that we are children of God. And maybe what needs to happen is some of us need to take this moment today and basically say, Lord, I need to start over. Almost like hitting the reset button. Maybe what needs to happen is we need to once again surrender ourselves to him. And I I got one other thought here. Maybe there are those in here today who have never surrendered your life to Christ. And you know that he is offering you grace And maybe today, as you participate in this act of communion, maybe this is an opportunity for you to come before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Right now, I surrender myself to you. My prayer is that this will be more than a ritual. I know that there are those who uh, practice this ritual all the time. We've, it's been a while since we've been able to do this as a church. COVID has caused us to be a little less able to do things like this. Actually, the last time we as a church did this was Easter. That's a long time ago. Actually, what we were doing before all this stuff was about once a month we would do it. And I felt kind of lost not being able to do this. I'm going to tell you, I don't want this to just be a ritual. I want this to be an opportunity for us to actually look within our own hearts and say, Lord, if there's anything in me that needs changing right now, Lord, I pray that you would change it. Lord, let, me, let this be an opportunity for me to be renewed with you. So we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray. I've got some individuals who they're going to come up and they're going to help us serve. But as we pray, my prayer is that you would make sure your heart is right as you come before the Lord. Let this be a time of renewal. Let this be a time of celebration, a time of reminding us of what Jesus did and what he's called me to. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are so grateful for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. We know that without that sacrifice, there is absolutely nothing that we can do. There's no way we could ever be good enough. There's no way that we could ever 
in any way deserve to be in your presence. We'd have no promise of eternal life. Lord, you paid the price for us, for our sin. And today we say thank you. Lord, perhaps today we just need to be reminded of what you've done, of what this, this sacrament means. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to see this as a celebration because you loved us so much that you were willing to die so that we could live. For some of us, we have wandered from our devotion to you. And in this moment, Lord, we have the opportunity to once again renew our commitment to you. I pray that you would forgive us where we have fallen short. And I pray that right now you would put in within us a desire to serve you above everything else. Lord, help us never to become complacent. Or maybe there are some in here today that have never made a decision for you. And right now, as they participate in this act, Lord, they are saying, Lord, I am yours. I seek your forgiveness. I pray that you would make me whole. I pray that you would wash my sins completely away. Thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. Lord, we do not deserve it. Lord, I pray today that you would allow this to be more than a sacrament, more than a ritual. Allow this to be a time for us to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. If those who are going to come up and serve, uh, if you would come up at this time, uh, we're going to have uh, various ministers that are going to set up. There's going to be uh, two over here, two here, and then two over here. So we're going to invite you guys to come. Jackie, are you, you going to help us as well? Don't feel obligated to come, but we invite you at this time, if you would feel led to come and receive the elements of communion, we invite you to come.
not able to come forward who would like for us to bring the elements to you this morning. As Jesus met with his disciples on the last night that he was with them, he broke bread. And as he did so, it was a somewhat foreign thing for them. Not to eat bread. In fact, they ate it every meal, but Jesus gave it new meaning. Jesus said, this represents my body that's broken for you. He's not talking about a service that the church will participate in. He says, every time you eat this, I want you to remember me. That means that when you sit for lunch, you sit for breakfast, you sit for dinner, because again, they had bread at every meal. Every opportunity for you to eat, I want you to remember my body that is broken for you, because I love you, and I'm willing to let my body be broken so that you can be made whole. What an incredible act of sacrifice. I mean, the reality is there are very few people that would give their lives for you. Maybe there are a few. I think of soldiers. I think of police officers, firefighters, different individuals who are in very unique positions. But how many people would willingly lay down their lives so that you might be able to live? In fact, the reality is while we were still sinners. So in other words, we didn't deserve it. It's not like Jesus is looking and saying, well, these are really good people. These are people, they deserve to live, so I'm going to die so that they can... No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredible act of sacrifice. See, I want you to remember this every time you eat a meal. Let this be a constant reminder of what I did. Now, we do it here, but I'm going to challenge you for a moment. When you get to lunch today, that's a chance to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Jesus took the bread, and he said, this represents my body that is broken for you. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. After eating the bread, Jesus then took a cup that would be passed around. It was one single cup probably, and the cup had enough wine in it where everyone could sip off the same cup. I know because of COVID, we can't do that. However, The wine that was in that glass, that goblet, represented something far greater. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, the moment that sin entered the world, any time sin took place, a sacrifice was required to make up for it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus allowed his blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven. He said, every time you drink this, again, at every meal, so it's a constant reminder. 
every time you eat this, I want you to, every time you drink this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray once more. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that's been made. We thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Help us every day to live as if that sacrifice means something to us. Father, we praise you. We thank you that we are so loved and we could never say thank you enough. Help us to simply respond by living a life that says thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is such a blessing to have everyone with us. If you would, if you'll just leave the cups in your pews and we will take care of basically uh, cleaning everything up afterwards. But it is such a blessing to have you with us today. Go in peace. May God's hand of blessing rest upon you as you leave this place.